All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? Hi. You all right? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. We've had a great run of shows. I hope you're enjoying yourself outside of the in memoriam shows, which are also great, but uh, have sad intent. They're not intended to be sad. That's maybe not the right word. The The reason that they're re-showcased is sad. Loss is sad, and it's part of life. I don't want to be negative. Look, man, today, David Chase is on the show, and um, obviously many of you know him from the, uh, the Sopranos. He was the creator of The Sopranos, one of the greatest television shows ever, and before that, he was a TV writer on many shows, including The Rockford Files, Northern Exposure. But as you'll find in our conversation, in his heart, he always wanted to be a filmmaker. And now is his time. Well, he's made a movie or two. But this he wrote this script that for the movie coming out now that he was supposed to direct, but he, he, he couldn't. Uh, we, we, we chat about that. We chat about that. But he, he wrote the script for the new movie, The Many Saints of Newark, which uh, deals with the characters from The Sopranos. In the late '60s, and it's it's great. It's it's if especially if you love The Sopranos, if you know The Sopranos, and you know those characters, to see these actors doing them when they were younger men is really a, a treat. And uh, Gandolfini's kid plays Gandolfini, plays Tony, and he's he's tremendous. I think you'll enjoy it. So I talked to him in a bit. Who didn't fucking love that that show though? I think it was the second season of Glow where I, when I wasn't shooting, which was a lot, I watched the entire run, every episode of The Sopranos on my phone. I couldn't stop. Because I remember, I'm old enough to remember when The Sopranos aired on HBO. And it was, in my recollection, it was the first time where you, like every Sunday, you kind of, there was a few shows that HBO was doing before streaming where it actually gave your week some sort of meaning like it gave you something to look forward to depending what you did with your life or maybe you were excited every day i think the ones that really got people doing that were probably six feet under mad men and the sopranos where you know sunday night you're like you got home to to watch it it was it, it was something to look forward to i mean i think that's sort of the downside of the streaming thing everything all the time is uh is not great because then you got to wait a year. You know, when they kind of kind of like dulled it out once a week, had a natural sort of build to it, and, and you, you absorbed it differently. And then, then you had to wait a year. You, but at least every week you were occupied. It wasn't just three days of uh, staying up and watching all of something. But whatever. You know, the, it was great. It's a great show, and I, and I, and I, I miss it, I think. It was very exciting. I mean, look, not every episode was amazing, but most of them were great. Characters were great. God damn, man. Gandolfini was so fucking good. Imperioli, all of them. Edie Falco, fucking brilliant. Man, I... uh, We're all getting old. But uh, I'm going to talk to David Chase. It's going to happen. You're going to hear it right here. If you are in... Connecticut, Ridgefield, Connecticut, November 11th, the Ridgefield Playhouse. There are tickets available. The New York Comedy Festival, Town Hall, November 13th. There are some tickets available. 
There's a Largo show uh, here in Los Angeles. That's this month, September 28th, the day after my birthday. I believe there are tickets available. This Friday, the Aladdin Theater in Portland, Oregon, the 10 p.m. show might have some tickets. You can find them all at WTFPod.com slash tour. So... I'm back for a couple of days. I was in St. Louis, and I got to be honest with you, man. After all the shit talking of Missouri, I had an amazing bunch of shows there. It's, you know, I I freak out before I go anywhere, and I was paranoid, but yeah, I'm also critical. You know, Missouri, I'm not. I it's still a a, a sort of a political and uh, kind of religious crucible of dumb fuckery. But St. Louis, it's odd. I've been there before, but I don't always remember the cities that I've been in. And uh, I noticed that when I was driving around, realizing that, like, I remember, like, the record store I went to, I... But it wasn't like excitement. It was like like being at the, you know, returning to the the place where the trauma happened. Like, I I just... It it was sort of the tone where I'm in my rent-a-car, and I'm like, oh, my God, I've been here. I've been here. Oh, shit. This is where I had the sandwich. So, weird tone. But I was not traumatized. It turns out that St. Louis is a pretty great city. It was probably an amazing city, and now it's pretty great. It's stunning. There's a lot of great buildings, a lot of good uh, parks. Apparently, the all the museums are free and outdoor concerts and stuff. I'm not going to do a big commercial for St. Louis. I barely got into the city. I was staying outside of the city in Clayton, uh, where the club is, which is sort of a suburb, I think. But I got out. I uh, I ate some things. Great fucking record stores, man. I went to two. I went to Vintage Vinyl, which is good. But then I went to Euclid Records. Holy fuck! And like, look, man. I know. I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know when it's going to stop. I know that I'm not the only, you know, 57-year-old man scrambling around buying records. And I know that every day that I buy more records, every day of my life, when I look at my records, I look at my guitars, or I look at my house, or I look at my shoes, or I look at my shirts, I realize what's going to happen to all this shit? How much of this is going to be garbage? Where does all this go? And that goes to like, seriously though, where is it going to go? And then it goes to fuck. I've got to. I've got to redo my will. I think. Who's in my? I got to. Who's in my will? What? What is? I got to. What's my estate planning situation? What? I better. I got to make sure somebody gets this stuff. I got to make sure charity gets some things. I should give my my pants to charity and the boots some money and stuff. So that's where my brain goes. But look, I'm just trying to change my diet to as bad as it can possibly be so um, I can die before everyone dies at the same time. (laughs) But back to St. Louis. So the reason, as you guys know, I go to do the extended runs is to work on the shit. And it had been a few weeks since I did the hours and God damn it, I, I got out there, man. Those second shows, there was one show Friday, the first show Friday where I was like, that's it. That's the structure. You landed on it. Uh, so tie it up. Figure out how you want to end the thing. Move some stuff around. You got some guts around this these death jokes. So, you know, close with them. Don't be a puss. Uh, and then figure out the tag. So this is inner dialogue stuff. So I'm doing about hour 15 
our 20s, our 25. I'd say I do have a, a pretty solid hour 10 that's going to be good. But then, like, second shows, Friday and Saturday, where you got to turn on the juice, you got to tweak your fucking energy. I just, and also by Saturday, second show, I'm bored of my shit because I've done four in a row. I've done one that before that, and I got to make it interesting for me. So it got real, it got weird, it was beautiful. Second show, Saturday, St. Louis, fucking serious jazz set. Serious. And look, man, I don't need to be like some comics just sort of like, Mark Maron's going to improvise an entire show. It's like, if you're a good comic, of course you can do that. You don't need to, whatever. So, but the riffing thing, to sort of riff with some intention and some, and, and really explore something to figure out how you think about stuff, it's a fucking thrilling, you know, it's thrilling because it doesn't always hinge on getting the laugh with me. It's, it's, it's a sort of like creative discovery process, which is how I do it. But when it really goes, when you're really feeling like you're in the cradle of it and the audience can handle it, that second show Saturday was, it's just one of those things where you're like, that's never going to happen again. Fortunately, I recorded it on my phone. Oh, fuck. Who, do I, who am I going to leave my phone to? I got to put that phone. I got to put my phone code somewhere where people can get it in case something happens. I have to give somebody my phone code. <laughs> I'm going to raffle my phone code off. But um, yeah, so it was very productive. All five shows. And, you know, people were very nice, Midwestern people. The people at Clementine's Ice Cream, the publicist there, Julie, she's been like hooking me up with ice cream, which I don't really need, but they make this amazing ice cream there, this place. And uh, it's like got like you know ninety percent butterfat or something. It's fucking nuts. And 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 they've sent it to me here at the house, but I'd never been to the store. And I got there, and you know they a bunch of them come from the ice cream place. And the next day, Tamara, the woman who owns the five Clementines ice cream places in in St. Louis, is like, let me show you around. Like there seemed to be some sort of concerted effort on behalf of the city to make me assess it properly. <laughs> You know, it's like, hey, man, we get it. Missouri sucks. But this town, this city is okay, man. It's okay. We got cool food. We got ice cream. And we got, like, free museums, man. And good record stores. And decent people. And kind of wild old, you know, brick architecture. Get on board. I got off the plane when I got there. I went right to Patty's, which is some old-ass barbecue. Just shoved a bunch of ribs in my face. Definitely a celebration of food shame for me. But anyways, I was taken around by somebody who lives there. And, and she's a, you know, I guess what you call it, a, a carpetbagger. She's a transplant who fell in love with the place. But I forget that I like these places. I like these Midwestern cities. Until I get someplace, you know, I don't know what's up. And my, my opinion has not changed of Missouri, uh, in large part, but I, I I do think St. Louis is is okay with me. Had good food, nice people, great shows, and uh, bought some cool records. And there were no problems. I think I really have a sort of some sort of narcissism where this paranoia that thinks like I, I really have to tell myself like, dude, you're not really a target. You don't have that much traction. You are not that. Uh, you're, you're not at that level of public personhood to where they're looking for you. Not yet. When they when they start getting to the micro, when they actually start taking over, you might be on a list. 
you might be on the entertainers list for a deportation to uh to the you know walmart parking lot camps but we'll see we'll see in the meantime i'm offering no apologies i don't feel contrite in any way about what i uh had said to about missouri leading up to missouri because all of my people not only did they enjoy being at a vaxxed show uh they felt safe and comfortable many people wore masks and uh it was all okay uh but they knew exactly what i was talking about and they felt the same way nobody knows better than the people that are fucking stuck in the middle of it you know what i'm saying by choice or just by need to remain at a job or near their family as i've said before people in blue cities uh they're not necessarily celebrating they do live in a certain amount of fear uh life in a blue city is sort of like uh, yeah you know we we don't talk about it at work you know we just don't you know don't ask questions you don't ask questions and it's okay i guess that's the way it used to be i guess the way that that's what it always was it didn't come into it but it's not really about politics anymore is it it's something different it's something much worse much much worse than politics David Chase, I was nervous about talking to David Chase because in my mind, he was like at the same level as a mob leader, as a mafia don. I don't know what I projected onto this guy. You know, he's, you know, he's from New Jersey. He's a writer. He's a, he's a screenwriter. It's what he's a screenwriter. He's not the mafia, but I just thought he had a, he, he had a, had some, some weight to him, man. Heavy cat. He is a heavy cat, but not in that way. And uh, it was really great talking to him. And I enjoyed the movie. This is me talking to, to David Chase. The, the Many Saints of Newark opens in theaters Friday, October 1st. And it will also be streaming on HBO Max. He created The Sopranos. And he's written on a lot of older shows. But you'll get the hang of it. There's never a shortage of cats, David. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if one goes, you like you cry for a little while, then you're like, then you go pick another cat. Yeah, well, I never, I, I've lost three cats to coyotes. And uh, I never, I didn't blow it off that easy. It was not, not No, of I course thought. not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, terrible. I'm sure, I think it was three, but it could have been two. One of them, the third one might yeah. have just abandoned us and gone elsewhere. Well, that's the hope. It's like if you don't actually find pieces of it, that they found a nicer place. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I had that happen to one, I just hoped that, like, some nice Mexican lady down there, because it used to be an indoor cat, but it pissed all over everything, so I had to put it outside. So I always thought it had a chip on its shoulder, and then it disappeared. Really? And uh, I, I, my hope was that a nice lady took him in. Yeah. Because they don't, they don't give a shit after a couple of days. They're not dogs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they don't. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, but I, I, haven't, I had to put two down uh, that were old, and that's heavy. But it's different than getting, it's different than coyotes. You kind of know what's happening. You're there and you miss them, but you know, you do realize they had a good life. Well, I think it's the whole being torn apart thing that yeah. um, yes. you don't want to see that or, Terrible. or think about that. The worst. Yeah, you got to keep it in the house. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't realize you lived out here. It's so funny. Like I talk to a lot of people all the time, but for some reason, when, you know, you were coming over, I, I felt like I was talking to some sort of, you know, mafia don. I couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, I, was like, right. I, was, I was like, this guy, this guy's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> That's because people have said a lot of stupid things about it. But. About you? Well, 
Tony Sirico said yeah. to somebody, he's, he's been quoted that, he said, you know, I, I know I know a lot of wise guys. I know a lot of really tough guys. Yeah. But David, <laughs> I'm scared of. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I could have fired him, but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. That Like, yeah, yeah you could fire him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. As far as an actor goes. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. But, uh, I, you know, I... It was very interesting in the new movie to see all the guys take on those characters that we knew from The Sopranos as younger men. Right. And I thought the detail of seeing uh, Little Steven's uh, uh, character uh, <laughs> with before he got the, the piece, yeah, before right. he got with the yeah. comb over. Right. The, uh, that was all John McGarrow's idea. Oh, yeah? Who's yeah. that? Which He's guy? the guy who played him. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. He said first the comb over and then we put the, the piece He's, on? Yeah, that's what he, he told me. So, you know, I'll, I'll like to play Stevie and we'll do the comb over and then I'll get the piece and... That, yeah. I mean, that was a great detail. Yeah. They, you know, it's a big jump from uh, <laughs> from comb over to peace. But they worked so hard to get the uh, the, 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 the gimmick, the, the sort of twitches right. And then, for some reason, you know, I saw it in a theater. I, uh, I, I, I swore to God, I left the theater. This never happens to me, and I don't know if I've got uh, getting soft in the head, but I thought Vera Farmiga, I thought that was uh, Edie Falco. Everybody says that. Really? Okay, mm. thank God. Everybody says it. Because I, like, I left thinking, like, God, Edie Falco was genius. And then, and then, <laughs> oh, and, and then my producer's like, yeah, she's not in it. And I'm like, who the fuck was that? Yeah. But there was, I, why is that? I, does she look I, like her? Do, do, the nose. I mean, she she had a prosthetic nose. Oh, okay. and it, her profile was kind of like Edie's. Okay, so I didn't realize she had a prosthetic nose. I mean, I noticed that right away. So then, of course, you can say, "Well, of course, he, he married his mother." You know, sure. Well, I, I mean, I got that, but I thought that was her. So I would have recognized her. Okay, so there was a prosthetic though, and I thought that she did an amazing job. You know, uh, getting uh, uh, what's her name, Marchand, uh, uh, Nancy, Nancy Marchand's twi- twitches and and quirks. Oh yeah, she did. You know the the weird little habits that of these characters that you got used yeah. to later. But Magaro did this the, the thing where Magaro walks to the door. I don't remember that. Yeah, he says, uh, "Tell him about there unloading the truck." Yeah, and he Tony's knocking on the door. And yeah, he walks across and he had the he had that walk down. The same thing. Holy the same shit. Thing as Van Zandt yeah. did. Yeah, no, yeah. it's great. My, I guess my question though is that this movie didn't have to be a, a Sopranos prequel, did it? Really? I mean, like the movie was setting up Tony to a degree, but the movie was about another character and it was about race, really, in, in, in Newark. Right. I mean, it seems like it would have stood on its own uh, had had it not, you know, had it been detached. Yeah, but, you know. No, no but did no. you ever think of that? I mean, did no. you, like, the, the no. story didn't happen, it wasn't a story existing in your head, it was something that came out of The Sopranos? No, it was, uh, it came because... New Line mm-hmm. approached me about doing quote yeah. unquote a Sopranos movie. Right. Okay. So, so that's right. what happened. And so you sat down and put your mind to it, and that's what you came up that's with. That's what we came up with. That, yeah. So you sit down with that idea, and you realize, well, Tony's too young to base a movie on at this point to to run a whole movie through as the lead, right? Yeah. So how do you how did you connect the mythology? Why why did you choose uh, Montesanti? Yeah, yeah Montesanti. Because um, well. I mean, everybody loves... I love Christopher. Yeah, it's great. Christopher is great. And, you know, the way... The Christopher story had been left. There was some room room there for some afterlife stuff. But that came came later. Um, Well, Lawrence Conner and I, we wrote it together. um, He quizzed me. What do you want to... Do you want to do a really good Sopranos episode? Do you want to do something different? Yeah. And we decided... What we wanted to do was make a really good gangster movie. Right. 
and we figured we need a really good gangster. Yeah, I couldn't have couldn't have Jim Gandolfini anymore. And yeah, and I you know remembered this guy Dickie Moltisanti had been a lot of talk about been, right. about him. Yeah, and I thought and I was interested. I thought oh, that would be interesting. Who is who is that guy? Yeah, you know so. So that was that's how it, that was it. That's how it, that's yeah, and then how did the riots come up? Well, I mean, did you grow up in? You're from Jersey, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Because I mean, you know, it seems like you would have been right at the age where you were taking all that in. Yeah, I, mean, I do remember. Yeah, I was my um, my girlfriend, and who's now my wife, worked at the Prudential Insurance Company in in downtown Newark. Yeah, and. I drove her to work every day yeah. or to the subway station every day. So at that time, I was thinking, oh, this is great, man. I hope they burn that fucking place down. Yeah. Fuck them. You know, I couldn't believe it. And then I thought, wait a minute. Denise is down there. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you make Shut, a call. Shut up. You know? You're all right. You called up. Yeah. What part of Jersey you grew up in? Essex County. My grandfather owned a, a, a hardware store and an appliance store in Haskell. Haskell. My father owned a hardware store. Really? Yeah. Jersey hardware store. Yeah, Verona, New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Hardware stores were great. Did you go there when you were a kid? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, he owned one in a shopping center first. No. And I used to go, My he had a partner. Yeah. So his partner's name, name was Tony and the kid's name was Bobby. Yeah. And we used to go down there all the time and there was a toy store in that place. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of stuff for us to oh, hang oh. out. And a Chinese restaurant next door so you could look in there and see the Chinese guys plucking chickens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then... Uh, That's a big kid memory. Yeah. Chinese guys plucking yeah. chickens. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting down on like a buck, overturned bucket and, yeah. you know... Pulling um, that feathers out. Meanwhile, my father and yeah. Tony would complain about the smell of the Chinese food. Sure. Um, and uh, then he went to deeper into suburbia. Uh-huh. And that was... Um, <laughs> he was always struggling because he picked this this time of... He had been a draftsman. Yeah. And he picked this time of life to open a hardware store. Well, how old was he? Forty? Mm, yeah. It was just when highway stores were starting to open up. Oh, the big ones. Big ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and so he was oh, he was always trying to come up from behind that. Oh. And bad timing. Bad timing. And then I when I left, they sold it to a guy who fucked yeah. it all up and then my mother went down for um a sheriff's sale, I guess. I don't know. His whole life. Yeah. One thousand three hundred and forty dollars. This is after he passed? Yeah. Yeah, no. it was like you know Arthur Miller time. <laughs> really, <laughs> but the hardware store. The reason I used to go like to go is there was all these old guys hanging around, telling stories. They just oh. hang around the hardware store because it was this tiny town. Oh, I see. And it was no, my, my, nobody hung around. My yeah, my, yeah. And my grandpa Jack was he'd let him in there and just they'd all sit around. There was like a luncheonette across the street, and the guy who owned it got busted for you know running numbers or something. Yeah, the nice guy Archie. Used to mm-hmm. give us candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out he was running a racket. Is that, so you're from there. You're from Pompton Lake. I, no, I was born in Jersey City. I lived uh, in Jersey only until I was like six or seven. Oh. Wayne. But both my parents are from Jersey. Uh-huh. I'm genetically Jersey. Right. Yeah. So you grew up in that area. I love New Jersey. Me too. Do you go? Because uh, I, as I get older, and even, you know, I remember like we used to drive on, I don't know if it was 46 or whatever, into the city. You drive through Secaucus, and my grandmother would say, Can you smell the pigs? There used to be pig pigs farms. Pig farms, yeah. Do you remember pig farms? I, 
Steroids. I never saw a fucking pig. Me neither. Uh, um, but they used to talk about it. Yeah, they talk about the pig. In the car on the way to New York. <laughs> but <laughs> Exactly. The pig farms. And, and there, of course, it didn't smell good there. No. But it was industry. It wasn't yeah. pigs. No, it didn't smell like pigs. Oh, I loved it. I, I, the... the the Meadowlands. I yes. love. I love that whole thing, and that's where The Sopranos was kind of originally set in uh, in that area. In that, well, I mean, The Sopranos was set in Newark. Yeah, and Newark touches the Meadowlands right. at some point. Yeah, they also all those rivers, the Raritan. And yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just when I was a kid, little kid. Yeah, I used to. My, we used to go see my grandmother in Westchester. Uh-huh. Uh, every New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mount Vernon, Yonkers. Yeah. Every other Sunday, and I would, and we said. Take the Washington. We lived in Clifton at that time, right? So we would take the Washington Bridge, and I would beg my father to take us through, home through the Lincoln Tunnel. Yeah, because I got to go to Manhattan and see yeah. it. Right. And, yeah. I, and at that time, there were ships there with their the prow of the boat like was over the West Side Highway. Yeah. Um, just I uh, was, and then going into the um, the Meadowlands, it was like a whole fantasy land that was yeah. like uh, grown up land. Yeah. That was right. like a whole, yeah. Bar, these kind of. I remember there was a bar with an anchor on it. Yeah, it's like a movie. <laughs> right, and it made a big impression. Oh, huge. Yeah, huge. I mean, I my my grandfather comes from Elizabeth, so that's right there. Mm-hmm. And then you know, my grandparents lived in Bayonne for a while, and I remember uh-huh. we used to just squeeze into the bathroom to look out the window because you could see the Statue of Liberty barely yeah, from yeah. Bayonne. Yeah. yeah, but there was definitely that sense. I remember driving into the city when I was a kid with my grandfather to get tongue at Katz's, and it was like. You just felt Ooh. the electricity of it, of of being in a you know in a, a huge yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. So that was a uh, well. I thought it was my father's world. Oh yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. he owned it. Well, he lived in it. He he that he built it. Not yeah. Him and his friends. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> in, a, in a way, that's true. I guess. Of but. course, of course. But uh, so, but you. It, growing up in 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 Jersey, you, your father was always what disgruntled. Upset, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd say more than disgruntled. Yeah, he was very angry. I think. Yeah, yeah. and was, how many how many kids in the family? Me, just you. Yeah. Oh, a lot of pressure, huh? Yeah, a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um. So a lot of anger in the house. A whole lot. Yeah. Oh, well, the they were fighting. They were fighting. My my mother was um, very very difficult. Just yeah. For him, I'm sure. Yeah. For me too, but for yeah. him. Uh, I it was I never really understood that relationship. Really, I, who the hell understands their parents' relationship? I mean, did they last the whole time? They did. Yeah. Well, I guess that you know it's a different yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah. And what uh, what drove you out? What drove you to to, to show business? What, what was the intention originally? Uh, to get rich and famous, I think. But do you knew in high school? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, not, I'm, I'm saying that. Yeah, get rich and famous, but you know what. Dr- Drove me out was um, my lo- my love of rock and roll music. Oh yeah, yeah. I want I wanted to be. I mean, after the Beatles and the Stones, that's all I could think about. That's all I could think about. And I was in. We were, you know, my friend, some friends of mine and I. Yeah. Two guys who really, really good guitar players. Yeah. Um, they still play. One of them died. Yeah. And he used to play. He was. Uh, he used to tour with a guy named Paul Siebold. You know who that? Mm-mm. Um, he died, and the other one is still around. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I don't know how much he's playing. He played in a band. 
we had a we had a, more like a, a jam band. I yeah. mean, we had this idea right. that we were going to make it big. Yeah, I made a movie about it actually. And oh, with the, uh, well, yeah, with Glenn Delfini about the kid, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just wanted that so much, and then I got interested. I mean, I'd always loved movies, but, right? But it never occurred to me that you could make one so but you saw like you saw rock, the full arc of rock and roll as a conscious person right i mean you saw the beginning of it all the way through because you must have been like what 14 or 15 in the 50s right so you saw no well close 12 yeah. 12 13. but you saw like elvis and then you saw yeah. it turn into the beatles and then you yeah. saw it turn into the the rest of it in the 60s yeah. yes. so you, you were there at the beginning and you loved it so you like you grew up with it i grew up with it and I started playing the drums uh, probably at four, 13 or 14. Yeah. But it wasn't specifically to be in a rock and roll band. Right. I, I took drum lessons from a guy who um, had played with big bands, uh, a guy named Jimmy Jerome. Mm -hmm. And so I learned what are called, I learned to read music only on one line. But, um, <laughs> the drum line? The drum line. Yeah. And I, I was learning independence. I don't know if you know what that, what that means. Um, what does it mean? Well, it means that each of your four limbs is doing something different. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very difficult. Yeah. But I loved it. It was. It's a jazz thing. Yeah. So at that point in high school, for what? That's when. That's when like pop music, whatever you want to call it. Was yeah. Just downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing good. Yeah. So me, my friends and I all got into jazz oh. for a while, and yeah, I just loved that. I just loved it. Then the Beatles came along. And yeah. That, that was, was it. That, End that of jazz. And goodbye jazz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but by that time, we'd also put everybody had put their instruments away mm. because we got driver's licenses. Yeah. And that was the end of driver's licenses and girls, and that yeah. was the end. Driver's of, licenses and uh, you could drink alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Greenwood Lake and, and, and Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. So then, when does it become possible for you to to sort of like start thinking about writing? Yeah, I mean, what do you, you know, what, 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 what spurned, yeah, because I've, I've heard that you're still, like, very into music, like, you're, you're, uh, uh, like, have a huge brain for music. I do, but n nothing new, frankly. No? No. <laughs> but, no. Uh, uh, where does it end? What year do you go up to? 75? No, 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 I'm a little later than that. Oh. Maybe the first decade of 2000. Oh, yeah? And you do records? You have records? I do have, I just... Just uncovered them because we moved. I yeah. have a, a pretty big record collection. I thought it was bigger, but I do. Ha I do have. That, <laughs> you thought you know. it was bigger? Yeah, I thought it was going to be like, oh yeah, <laughs> David's record collection. <laughs> no. Not not enough for no. that. No, no, and I still haven't played one of them yet. So, so when do you start writing? I started writing in film school because uh, my analysis was that to make a movie, yeah, you need millions of dollars. Yeah. But to write a script, you yeah. need some paper and a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the way to get in. So I started writing that. And who was, uh, what movies were you drawn towards? At that time? Yeah. Like what was making you want to do it? Well, the, the when I first got the idea, like, you know what? Maybe this is something you could do. Yeah. Was seeing um, Cul-de-sac, the Polanski movie. Yeah. I thought, maybe you could do that. Or, yeah. Because there was like only four people, right, in a house, yeah, and I sort of could understand. I, not that I was thinking production-wise, right. I just it seemed like something maybe I could manage a story like that. Yeah, that's all. And what was the first movie you wrote? 
the first movie I wrote, I forget the name of it. I wrote it with a friend of mine from yeah. film school. And did you make it? No, no. no. <laughs> we sent it. To my our, our writing teacher sent, yeah. it, sent it down to Hollywood to a guy named Roy Huggins, who yeah. was a television writer producer. Yeah. And I got a job out of it. My first jo writing job. Really? So out of NYU? No, uh, no, out of Stanford. Oh, you were you were in Stanford. So you went to undergrad in New York. Yeah. And then you went to Stanford. And then I went to Stanford, yeah. Wow. I didn't even know they had a program. <laughs> Nobody knows it. It's, it's, um, it's, it was mostly then yeah. documentary, uh -huh. which is not what I was into. Yeah. Um, and now it's only documentary. Interesting. Because mm. why, why that's, uh, is it within the journalism school? It was, no, Department of Communications. Okay. Which was, was the, I guess journalism was yeah. in there too. Right. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, I think now it's in the drama department, but huh. I don't know. So you were already in California. You didn't have to move from Jersey or New York. No, no, no. I was in L.A., yeah. So what was the job? Uh, I wrote a screenplay of a TV series called um, The Bold Ones, yeah. The Lawyers, yeah, with Joe Campanella and uh -huh. Burl Ives. And, Burl Ives. Yeah. I forget the uh, I forget the third guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was it. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. And then I didn't work again for probably three or four years. What'd you do to work? Um, well, I, I guess I, I worked with a friend of mine. We wrote a couple of screenplays for Gene Corman, uh, Roger Corman's brother. Does he, was that, was that, so if, Gene, if Roger makes B-movies, did Gene make C-movies? <laughs> oh, something like that, yeah. Um, so I worked, yeah. I, but I remember I worked an entire year, I think, on a screenplay for 600 bucks. I don't remember that. What was that I mean, one about? What the hell was it? <laughs> Something ridiculous? Yeah. Yeah, it was about... <laughs> probably not cool no, anymore. It was about a gay guy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> not cool about a gay guy. Yeah. yeah. So that's where that goes. But you're in Hollywood in the 70s. It must have been pretty fucking exciting. It was tremendously exciting. Like, what were you guys doing? You must have, music? You must have seen any everybody? No. Oh. I've, you know, I don't know why, but I've never really been a concert guy that much. I'm the same, dude. And I really? love music. Yeah. I just... Uh, yeah, because like I'm only good for about 45 minutes. You know, and it's not even, even before I got old. It, it was sort of like you know I go, and if it's uncomfortable, if I can't see, what's the fucking point? I don't like. Yeah, to, that's the way. That's the way. I'll t I can tell you the best concerts I've seen were Los Lobos, New Year's Eve, oh, 1986 so or something. Yeah, yeah. And my wife and I used to li just listen to records all the time. Yeah, and all my fr my friends and I did too. You'd come over and they listen. Well, we'd get high and listen yeah. to records. Yeah. And sometimes with my friends, pick them apart and try to figure out the parts and then oh, try, yeah. try to play them or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in the 70s, were all your friends in show business no, at that time? No. no. No, no. I mean, friends from film school were trying to be in show business. Yeah. I, I do remember that we lived we lived in an apartment uh, in Brentwood, and when people came, when friends came from back east... yeah. We'd get high, we'd get in the car, and we'd go down to um, 20th Century Fox on Pico Boulevard. Yeah. And drive into the lot. Yeah. And the guy at the gate would just didn't care. Yeah. And it's nighttime. Yeah. And you drive in, pretty soon you're underneath the Third Avenue L. Uh-huh. And you're in New York. Like, it was it was the, from a Barbra Streisand movie. Right. Big, big movie. Funny, Funny Girl. Funny Girl. Yeah, movie. yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> and we used to do. I just I loved that shit. Just yeah, loved it. You had a buddy like when I first came out in the eighties who who knew somebody who had a family friend who worked at Paramount and just let got us on the lot. Yeah, <laughs> walking around Man. those streets. Right. In that lot. Yeah, it's great. Well, it is great. Yeah, it you, is great because you, you know if you love show business, it's like you know it's like the secret tour. You know. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I don't know if it was loving show business or loving movies. I, I well, yeah, well, of course. I didn't know what show business was, but it's the <laughs> movie business. Yeah, you know? right. I'm still not clear what show business is. When I, I was, I had a seven-year contract at Universal for TV writing. <sighs> for TV writing, yeah, yeah that, and, that um, wasn't a good sigh. Um, <laughs> actually, yeah. What? Well, it, it, it was what it was. I, I, I had it kept me in television. I, I, I wanted to be in movies, a movie director. Yeah. And then when I got here, yeah, and I got a few jobs, I, I I got scared of directing. I thought, oh, I could never do that. Why? Well, tell those actors what to do. Yeah, well, you know, tell them what to do, and I just thought it's not for you. Huh. Um, I didn't say it's not for you, but I, yeah. I just didn't do it. So the writing, though, I mean, that did you get a feel? How did that work? So you were just contracted at the lot, and they throw you on shows at that time. Basi- like, basically, huh? Uh, yeah. You could refuse it. No, yeah. you weren't really supposed to refuse it. So what was going? So it, it kind of worked like the studio system did with movies. Like you, you were a contract player, yeah. and they would say like, you know, exactly. like, like uh, this show needs a guy. Go over and talk to so and so and see." If yeah, you, huh? That's exactly how it was. And what shows did you do? Well, the first one I did was that that was a that one episode the of the bold um, ones. The bold ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. Three years go by, and yeah. the Writers Guild goes on strike. Oh, yeah. I had to go on picket duty. Oh, yeah. And I was extremely pissed off yeah. because the Guild had never gotten me any work. Right. And I thought it was like the plumber's union or you something. <laughs> like, you'd go to a, you know, a union hall, right. and they'd say, you know, anybody here work with uh, brass or something? You know? and, but that never that happened. That. No. So you didn't have an agent, or you did? I finally got an agent when I went to pick a duty at Paramount yeah. Studios in front of the big gates. Yeah. Um, I met a guy who introduced me to his agent mm. and he was a he was a couple of years older than me. He was about to take over the back nine of The Magician with Bill Bixby. And, I remember that. Yeah. So we did that and then he got hired to be the producer of The Night Stalker with Darren McGavin. Oh yeah, Darren I remember McGavin. that too. Yeah. So he took me with him to there. He got fired after three episodes, yeah, or left, and I stayed there for seven years at Universal. So now, when you was this, uh, did you did you find it gratifying? I mean, were you engaged with it? I mean, because it's it's hard to tell how you, how you're talking about it. Like the, I know, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you obviously learned something. Oh, I learned a fuck of a lot. Yeah, yeah. but uh, how did I? All the time, I was thinking. Here's what it was. Yeah. All the time I was thinking, you asshole, you took this seven-year contract right. for money. Right. Money. Yeah. Money. Yeah. So you're not going to be in the movies anymore. Mm. I was trying to get into the movies. I was right. trying to shift over. Right. But it didn't work. Oh, so you, so you felt I always like you, blamed myself, yeah. Uh, like you sold out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, I was enjoying... I worked on really good stuff, I have to say. Yeah. I, I was lucky. What was your favorite? Back then, the Rockford Files was really good. That that was such a. It seemed like a fun show. Man. It was fun. It was fun. And Gardner seemed like he was great. Yeah, like a great guy. He was a good guy. Yeah, everybody. It was a. It was a lot of fun. I. 
you really felt like you were part of a family. Yeah. Um, Didn't that, did Michael Lerner do some Rockford Files? The actor? Yeah. 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 He's a character. Dude. Is he still around? He is, man. I I had him on. I did a show on IFC for four seasons, and he played uh, my 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 mother's boyfriend in one episode. What a fucking piece of work that guy is. How so? I mean, he was great. He was great. You know, he really, uh, I think, believes he should have won the Oscar for Barton Fink, and maybe he should have. But uh, now, like, he's just one of these guys where, like, uh, we're all sitting around. Here's what here's what he did. All right, so it's a small production. First of all, he's always doing is going like, can I have this robe? Can I have these shoes? Can I take, like, so every, <laughs> everything on the set, he's like, can I take this home? He said, no. <laughs> and then uh, the what the amazing thing is, though, this guy, you know, he's sitting out in front of his trailer. He's got his balls hanging out. He's got, he's sitting in a robe. Um, and uh, so we're shooting in a house, in a condo. And the video village is the bathroom. It's this little bathroom. So everyone's crammed in there, uh, yeah. right? And we're shooting the scene, and it's a low-budget show. And somehow at lunch, everyone's gone. And some, for whatever reason, Michael Lerner went in there and took a dump in that bathroom. He, <laughs> <laughs> for what? For some reason? Yeah, yeah, right. He had a trailer; he could have got it. So, like, uh, so that was his set. So that's how that worked. And he also like doing scenes with him. He'll fuck with your head, man. I mean, he was, mm. like, he, he's an interesting guy, and he's a great actor, and, and I love him. But he's he's a piece of work. Like you know, we'll be we'll, we'll be shooting. We're shooting with Sally Kellerman and him and me. Sally Kellerman's playing my mother, and he's just up in my head before every scene. He's like, "Do you know what you're doing? Do you make any choices?" Here we go. <laughs> so by the time he goes, by the time action happens, he owns the scene because right. he's fucked you. Right, <laughs> right. So, right. and I think they know that. I think he knows. He, I think he, he must. I think he did more than one. He probably did one a year, one a season. Sure, uh, sure. Harvard Files. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a, I get a kick as a scumbag villain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. There were so many of those actors then, right? In the seventies, these guys that were all around. Yeah. But uh, but Gardner was great and great to work with. Yeah, it was great to work with. Yeah. Also, I, I kind of I respected um, I respected the writing. I, I respected the show. Mm. Um, I had been on another show prior yeah. to that, yeah. And I, the and the Rockford people screened an episode of Rockford for me, yeah. And I thought, well, the f- I thought, wow, this really seems like it's really about Los Angeles. Mm. This this show takes place not just in its time slot, but in the real Los Angeles. Yeah, I felt it had some depth and. Let's, character or something so so you sense the you sense the city as a character that yeah, they, oh yeah mm-hmm. and and that that sort of uh that kind of uh yeah stood out to you and i was encouraged to write kind of satirically mm-hmm. um i was encouraged to make fun of uh the bad guys or they they would be like Pompous assholes, a little bit like uh, Columbo, I uh-huh, suppose. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so you had uh, clownish villains, um, self-deceiving. Right, 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 oh. right, right, right. They they didn't see the part of themselves that no, was right, ridiculous. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what was it you think that? You, what was the big part? The big piece of your education on that show was was seeing that it was rooted in, in or grounded in a in a reality that 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 seemed to have some integrity. Yes. Yeah. So what was this stint on, like, Northern Exposure? Uh, not, <laughs> that, that's, it doesn't match. It doesn't add up to me. I know. That was the... I, I'm I'm yeah. proud to say, I yeah. think, that was the only job I took for money, except for the whole career, which I did for money. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sort of 
shitting all over myself, but I was just so happy to be part of it and yeah. to drive to a studio and yeah. see actors that you were famous and 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 write and create stuff just the creative process well it seems like you did you know like i, I don't know what the uh i'm just looking at some of this stuff but i don't know what uh the the palms precinct was oh jesus christ but <laughs> it seems like a it was a pilot you did it it's a pilot i did it, it. it what was that uh it, it was it was sharon gless yeah and some italian guy uh-huh. uh, yeah, <laughs> James Marino or something. Yeah, and it ended up with a gunfight. Yeah, a couple of Hell's Angels in a gunfight. Yeah, and the chief and the chief villain had to give up because he had to take a shit and he shit in his pants and ran into the house. So, despite all this, the people, the executives at Universal kept yeah. having faith in me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was part of the universal deal? Yeah. But, okay, so you're beating yourself up on all this, but you're sort of, obviously, you know how to do the work, you know how to get a script done, you know how to you know how to produce a show at this point, right? Yeah. So by the time you do The Sopranos, was it, did you, when you started to work on The Sopranos, did you finally at least say to yourself, I'm doing something now that I'm proud of and it's not for the bread? Uh, well, I'm trying to explain this. Is that yes. it wasn't all for? I no, didn't I do it, it for the yeah, bread. I, I, yeah, I understand. Um, um, I was married, and then I had a kid, and yeah. so you know. Yeah. Um, what was your question? <laughs> the question is: By the time you created The Sopranos, did you feel like you had control and you were happy about it? And, yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't happy when they said they were buying it. Yeah. When I mean, we made the pilot. Yeah. And it took about a year before they made a decision on it yeah they tested it and we we're all you know everybody was waiting around right when they said they were going to buy it i thought oh this is the end of my life <laughs> seriously i mean look at your age you're finished there's another tv show yeah and um so wait so was the thing that was hanging over you was that you know you still hadn't done movies yet yeah okay yeah right I was going to the movies, and I was, you know, watching all kinds of movies, and and so when I sold The Sopranos, I decided, okay, well, that's going to be like the movies that I go to see, right? But I thought, well, I was hoping for that whole year when they didn't buy, it, when they hadn't decided, yeah, that they would pass on it, and that I could get another half a million dollars out of them, and put it. It was about seventy minutes long. Put another twenty or so minutes in it, make a movie out of it. And take it to the con festival. That was my dream. Yeah, and that <laughs> that didn't happen. This other thing happened. This other destiny. Jesus, it, it was a destiny. Oh yeah, it was a huge destiny. But but in doing that, you were able to change the 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 filmic language of television into something. Yeah. That, I mean, you you are sort of almost personally responsible for for making a uh, you know a, a a you know five or six year movie <laughs> like there was a sense of you know i never thought of it though <laughs> no i never did a yeah. five-year movie yeah i mean because i mean the conversation was nobody had seen tv like that and you know all the the filmic elements were not uh, in any way, uh, traditional television, and, and every episode, some of them more than others, felt like movies. 
that was my goal. Well, yeah, and so you did. That was my goal was to do a little movie every week. Yeah, and so not only did you do a, a movie, you did the the longest movie ever made. Okay, but it wasn't in the movie theater. <laughs> okay, and you know the you know the I difference. Uh, yeah, I, yes, I know. Yeah, the difference. obviously. Sure. Um, you know, you go, I you it. fall under a spell, or you don't. Yeah, right. I well, I mean, I well, uh, I sat and watched when I was shooting Glow. I watched the entire. Uh, all of the Sopranos episodes sitting there on set, like really? as if it were like a movie, like every day. Like I've been watched wow. it, but I mean, yeah. again, I wasn't in a movie theater. But but you know what was interesting to me was in watching it is that there are definitely some episodes that were um, you know kind of almost like surrealistic adventures. Yeah, and and that oh good yeah thank you because when I watched them the first time where we all kind of you know looked forward to Sunday you know it was different you know you were just kind of but like watching them all together I really saw that like Jesus some episodes really they all stand on their own but some of them were were sort of like you know art they were they were art movies I know yeah and they, I know it was it was fun. it was oh it was the best obviously the best creative experience of my life yeah and um, I really oh, I felt wonderful doing it. And when you got into it, though, like, you know, how much of this sort of like, because it seems like, you know, whatever it is, whatever reason, you know, you're so hard on yourself or, you you know, you judge yourself against this idea of who you were, of yourself that didn't happen the way you want it to happen. I mean, how much of like the, the compulsion at the beginning of The Sopranos was to resolve some of your own shit? To resolve some of my own shit. I don't, not consciously, hmm. but it was certainly was to... Uh, I would call it reserve, resolve the network shit. Yeah. But it was certainly to deal with network shit and network show shit. that it was shit. Yeah. That was... Show television. They showed the networks that television was shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at that time, there was uh, Elvis Costello so on Radio Radio. Yeah, sure. Um, and and I used to think about this all the time. He used to, he, used to, he you know, I want to bite the hand that feeds me. Yeah. I want to bite that hand so, so badly. Yeah. I want to make them wish they never seen me. And that happened. That all came true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You showed them. I showed them. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it, it felt really good. Yeah. But in terms of like your, your family stuff, did you find that like when you were writing that, you know, you were bringing a lot of your personal yeah. issues to yeah, it? Yeah, well, that his mother was based on my mother. Yeah, He course. had a lot. He had some things like, like my father. Yeah. Tony did? Tony, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and all all the Italian-Americanism um, came from my past. Mm. And and I, I still think it's, like maybe the most Italian American show that's ever been on TV, and maybe even more Italian American than certain gangster movies. You know, it, oh for sure. It, it you know well I mean it, it's it, just inside the house that old yep all that. Sh but but and also inside the two different kinds of houses. You you know that you know the the Italian Americans that were still sort of in the mindset of like you know trying to pass, right? Yeah. So, you know, middle class, upper middle class Italian Americans who want to distance themselves from the Italians who work at the pork store, whether right. they're gangsters or not. Right. So you've got this sort of two different styles of, you know, the you know, the the people pushing back on the stereotype by making themselves seem less Italian. Yeah. That was like the therapist family, 
right? The therapist family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the other, the doctor next door. Where, um, sure, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that I, I, I yeah. think that came about because of that was my parents' attitude. They, my mother could get really defensive about it. That's the way we make chicken. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and at the same time, I think there was a shame. Yeah. I think a feeling at the bottom of the barrel or close to the bottom of the barrel about what how I think they were they were conflicted about their Italianism oh oh so they being Italian that there was this idea that you don't want to act like you're off the boat kind of deal absolutely my father when I first started with long hair and beetle boots he used to say um, you look like you just got off at Ellis Island Uh, what I mean, I knew what Ellis Island was, right, but right. I don't remember people dra- wearing beetle boots that long hair at Ellis Island. But anyway, yeah, well, that's interesting. But that was his, that was the low, the lowest of the low for him, I guess. Right. So there was some like you had to you had a lot to resolve, but I, I you know, in terms of uh, Italianism in the show, but I remember the, immediately thinking like, well, he's humanized the gangster, and I, I don't know that's ever been done. And any time that it's ever been done, even in a glimpse of it, you know, people say, well, this is a different kind of mobster in the movie of this or that. But you realize after you watch The Sopranos, I, you know, I saw people doing jobs and I saw, you know, gangsters acting like people. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I love Raging Bull. I watch it, like, once oh, a year. It's, yeah. It's the best. Yeah. You, you know, but there was still this sort of, like, you know, go see, like, I guess because it was limited to the mob's engagement with this one fighter that you didn't see the the full spectrum. But it was, you know, the club, you go to the social club, you get to throw the fight. You know, it, it, it was not... The stake, it defeats its own purpose. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that stuff, the language was what it was, but the narrative itself, you know, getting the boxer to throw the fight, it was based on truth, but it was not a story I hadn't seen before. Whereas, because you had the time with the series to explore the lives and just the day-to-day kind of uh, uh, picadillos and nuances of people doing this job, it spread it out. You saw real people. You uh, didn't see caricatures in The Sopranos. No, not really. I saw. I sometimes I like. I, I had a hard time uh, understanding Steve Van Zandt's you know approach to the character. <laughs> but but oddly by <laughs> by the end of it, I bought it. Right. You know? It's funny because I've seen him this week. I've seen a whole lot of bunch of scenes yeah. because of doing press and stuff right. from the show. Yeah, from The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, I thought the whole time he was really good. Yeah, well, he made like it was very specific, and 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 at the beginning, I thought like, is he doing a good job? And by the end of it, you realize like, well, that's that guy, I guess. That's, that's that, guy. that guy. But I also I think he also had acted a lot more and was and yeah. felt more sh- sure of himself and oh yeah, especially when he had and to, smart. Yeah, the tour, like when he finally had to kill somebody. You know, when you had to see it? Yeah. When he had to kill her, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, yeah, Adriana. Ooh. That, like, that was such a turn for that character. It was a turn. You know, so maybe it's like real life. That was a turn for him. Yeah, yeah. He said, he was saying, I was reading the other day, that he, oh, I was reading his autobiography. Um, that he really didn't want to do it. He found it really hard to pull her out of that car and yeah. throw her on the ground. And, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned with the Rockford Files that, you know, you were given some leeway to give these villains a, a kind of almost satirical uh, Achilles heel. Uh-huh. Because, like, you know, some of those guys at the beginning started were well, played like that a little bit. You know, like Paulie Walnuts and stuff. But yeah. but as time goes on, yeah, and no, you, yeah, no. you got the depth of who who they were and right. where they came from. It, was, it wasn't like that. They were like that. That was who they were. Well, 
Pauline Walnuts really was, is Tony Sirico. That, yeah. We, uh, Gandolfini used to call the writers uh, vampires uh-huh. because we stole the actors' lives yeah. and put them on the screen. Now, yeah. we never did that with him, so. Yeah. It was true with Tony. That was true. That was really his life, his mother, well, and it, everything. No, else. no, not the whole thing about his mother wasn't his real mother. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, his his fixation on his mother, right? Um, his fixation on his hair, yeah, on his mother, yeah, on his uh, germophobia, yeah. That was all, all <laughs> that was, real. That was him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and when, he had so much. And it turned out he had so much fucking range, really, within that character. Right. Yeah. No, I, he got. He, there was a uh, when when he. When he saw the humanity of that guy, yeah. Was, when it, he saw it, when when I saw it, uh-huh. I don't know how, when he saw it, but when when he got to that place where he was sort of childlike, you know, yeah. it was kind of amazing. I know, right? I know. Yeah. So with every episode, when you're going through this stuff, there was was there a constant sense of discovery for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Terry Winter, I just have to say, so, you know, he brought so much to that show. Yeah. Tremendous yeah. amount. You you didn't really you didn't lay out all the seasons at the beginning. No, 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 no. So you had a you had a room full of writers and you guys were working through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like at towards the I, I know that, you know, people get I I didn't get I didn't get I never got hung up on the ending. I was like, this is the way he wants to end it. Let him end it. What yeah. do I give a shit? All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But did did you get annoyed at that after a certain point? After like, a certain point, yeah. I mean, what, what, what do people want? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, and Stevie told me that yeah. he, the next day, where was he? He was in Florida. Yeah. I guess the the entire cast went to Florida to some place to watch the last episode. Yeah. And they didn't know how it was going to end. Oh, they didn't. No. Yeah. Because we shot some fake endings because people were trying to find out, you know. We shot an ending that wasn't really the ending, and yeah. So he uh, was on the radio the next day, a sports show, I think. Van Zant was, yeah, yeah, and he was defending it all. He said, and people were fucking cursing, and you know, just downplaying it. And it wasn't he didn't do anything. And um, finally, he said, uh, "All right, well, okay, what would you do? Okay, yeah. it's your show now. End it." Yeah, and they didn't know what to say. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you struggle with it? No, no, you knew all the line. Yeah, I mean, Chris Albrecht, the uh, head of HBO yeah. at the time, said to me two years out, said, yeah. "You better think about ending the show and how you want it to end, or I never would." Because television never, there was never an ending to yeah. a TV series. Yeah, well, most of the time it was canceled, and you just had to yeah. throw one together. Exactly. Yeah. So, or you never got to do anything. Right. It was right. just gone. It was right. <laughs> I mean, Rockford never had an ending. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah, yeah. That's true. And so, and here you were in this position. You'd created this amazing thing that changed the face of television, and you actually had control over the ending two yeah. years ahead of the time. Two, yeah. You're like, right. you know, you eventually can't have this go on forever because it's well, not he, a sitcom. They, they were not, yeah. I, I mean, I had, I wanted to get out and do movies. Uh, um, <laughs> now I'm hot. Now I can do movies. That didn't work out that well. And um, it's amazing yeah. because I'll I will say this. Yeah, that show made that network. Yeah, it did, and it made them a huge amount of money. Yeah, but they wanted. I think Chris wanted it. This is enough of that. Yeah, <laughs> I need to keep this. We're costing a lot of money. I need to keep some money for research and development for what's going to come after. And I think 
on some level, he was probably always thinking to himself or dreaming at night or waking up with, what's going to come after that? What are we going to do after that? And um, on some level, he probably wanted to get to that. Yeah. Let's, let me right. face that demon. And, sure. You know. Right. What are we going to do post-Sopranos? Yeah. We're going to do with the whole the mob left. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, so you had two years to think about it. Yeah, I did. I had two yeah. years to think about it. You probably shouldn't have taken two years to think that up, but I'm, I'm kidding. Um, you just knew you just knew Journey was the answer. Is that no? I didn't know Journey was the answer. Oh, you didn't? No, no, no. The Journey Journey was uh, in pre-production. There was going to be a song at the end. Yeah, he was going to play with the jukebox. Yeah, and uh, I was in the scout van with uh, all the department heads. Yeah. Production design. We're looking for locations. Right. And I never had done this before. I said, listen, um, I'm going to talk about three songs that I want thinking about for ending uh, the show. And they were like, he's asking us. Yeah. Um, Right. One of them was Al Green. What the hell's the name of that song? Love and Happiness. Love and Happiness. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. The The second one I don't remember. And... The Journey song. Right. Don't Stop Believing. They went, yeah. oh, Jesus Christ. No, don't do that. Right. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and I said, well, I guess that's it. That's the one. Yeah. But I, I wasn't I wasn't saying that because just to throw it in their face. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of my favorite. And I just thought it got a reaction of some kind. So uh, <laughs> I can make this song lovable. Um, yeah, right. Which it was, you know, sure. it, it had been. Yeah. Um, anyway, did you direct that last episode? Yeah. So you were aware of you created a tension there, knowing you know that the the end was just going to be them eating. Yeah. That, so you. <laughs> yeah. 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 The parking the car. And, yeah. <laughs> I know. It must have been just so fucking. It was fun. It was it must when have I been say it was thrilling. Fun, yeah, you know, uh, knowing, doing it, and knowing where you were going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I say it was fun, I don't know what I have an aversion. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do in in, in the movie and yeah. TV business to saying it was really fun. Yeah, it has to seem deeper than that, or but it was really fun. The whole thing or that episode? The whole thing. Yeah, I mean, there's some bad times, but. The whole thing, and that episode particularly, yeah. yeah. Like in in the course of it, when you look back on it, and having not known where it was all going to go, really, you know, what are you proudest of about in 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 that in terms of creatively? Hmm. Like, are you, is it the way that uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Frank Vincent? Is it Frank Vincent? Frank Vincent. Was it the way he died? That's you got to be pretty proud of that. <laughs> I was pretty. <laughs> I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> now that you mention it, yeah, I was pretty proud of that. So was that? So seriously, is yeah. that my whole thing? It's just uh, just uh, creating shit, and um, yeah. where people are going to go, oh my god, is that my 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 whole impulse? I don't think so. No, no, I I but I do think like uh, I did like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the little kids bounced up and down when yeah. they went over to say, I must say, you're now you're making me brag about it and re- relive it. Yeah. I, it was it was. Fucking yeah. great! People couldn't believe it. It was fucking great. No, I don't think it was. A, I don't think that's your whole thing to shock people. I, I think that you know it isn't. It no, really is not. Of course not. No, I mean, I, you know, I would never assume that because you never thought like you know this guy's just doing this to you know to blow our minds with shock bullshit. It was just like you you humanize these guys who did horrible things. Well, and that's that. 
Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, and I, you know, there were four or five other writers in the room with yeah, me yeah. Um, who would not have let that be just a shock. No. In fact, some of them I had to talk out of that. They don't, yeah. don't you know, just right. don't. I remember Chris Albrecht said yeah. to me when we started, when yeah. we did the pilot, mm. and um, we had the Bada Bing and, you know, topless dancers, yeah. which are against the law in New Jersey. And he said, let's not do something because we, just because we can. And I thought, that's pretty smart. Mm. I mean, I never heard a network guy be that intelligent. Right. Well, I mean, he was, you know, it was HBO, right? Yeah, but I mean, it, that was, I always had, that's a really good way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it worked out beautifully. Now, the, so you still seem a little mad that you didn't do more movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you, uh, what, this movie, now, what ha you were supposed to direct it? I was, yeah. What happened? Well, there was a, illnesses in the family. Oh, sorry. But you were there the whole time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. 90%. What, when, when you really thought about making race an element, was that a, 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 some sort of reaction to the, the times we're living in now, or was that always part of the story for you? That was always part of the story. Um, the times we're living in now, this is easy for a white person to say, I guess, yeah. started after we were finished principal photography. George Floyd, that happened after we were, uh -huh. we were done. Yeah. And we were fighting with this movie, which wasn't really working for me. Yeah. Why? Eh, just could have been better. I don't know. It was... Um, when you were shooting it? No. Oh, we, right. We were, we were finished shooting. Oh. Finished shooting yeah. during the editing process. Oh, okay. And a lot of people found it confusing. I mean, you know, we had test audience. Sure. And they didn't know, they didn't know whether they were supposed to be picking out people oh that's silvio or that. yeah so that was confusing and they couldn't follow the story because of that um and anyway so we did another 15 pages after after george floyd and we didn't change any of that yeah none of the racial stuff was changed now there was a thing with the sopranos where yeah. um it seemed like for a long time, maybe the whole time. Now, I know there were some bad episodes and some good episodes, mm -hmm. but even the bad ones, I, yeah. I feel, are pretty good. Yeah. But it, we couldn't put a foot wrong for some reason. I don't know what that means. And it's not about my talent yeah. or anybody's talent. Something, I know this sounds weird, something was guiding something. Yeah. And it became so successful. Yeah. At the same time, we would put things in the show, and then it would happen two weeks later in the real world. That happened again with the movie. Oh, I see, yeah. We made a movie. We would made a movie about racial tension and yeah. um, and uh, anti-black feelings, Yeah. and we shut down, and lo and behold, everybody says, how did you know this was, right. did you rewrote this after the after George Floyd? And we right. say, no. Yeah. So that yeah. happened all the time with the show. And yeah. I, I don't, I'm not taking any credit for it. I never understood it, but yeah. it did happen. Yeah, I mean, that whole narrative, that whole part of it, like historically and, and, and just also the, the, the kind of standoff between those communities was, it, it, yeah. but, and also the way they work together. I, I mean, it's stuff I didn't really know about. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was great. And Ray Liotta was great. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. What Now, what about... Can we talk about that device? Or you don't no, want to? No, I don't want to. Okay. Do it, no. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but you did, when you uh, uh, enlisted him to do the job, you hadn't worked with him before, had you? No. I try, we tried to work... I, I went to see him on location in Virginia to get him to play the part of... to 
ask him to play the part yeah. of, of Ralphie, which is what Joe oh, right. Planning Leano ultimately oh, played. God, I can't see anyone else doing that. I know. I mean, I, I know. I mean, I could see how Ray could have done it. Oh but yeah, Joey Pants was unbelievable. Ooh, shit, unbelievable. Wow, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Just talking to that guy is unbelievable. I, I interviewed him on Zoom during the pandemic. He's like, "What's going on?" You know, he's like, <laughs> he's, he's just Joey Pants, man. Yeah, and he's such a lit up guy. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, oh, he's but, amazing. And and the best part of it for me was the last episode he was in. I guess after his movie son got shot with the arrow and oh, yeah. was in the hospital. Yeah, and was you know was never going to be the same anymore. There was a there was a whole different Ralphie, I and mean, yeah. you just saw Ralphie Br really be destroyed. Yeah, and he did that, so, and you felt really bad for him. You, you, this you, asshole. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Did you like? Do you love uh, working with these actors? I mean, that was your fear uh, initially uh, about yeah. directing, and yeah, and, right. and then you got this amazing opportunity to work with such a big variety of no. Of I, actors. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, I really enjoyed it. It must have been just sort of astounding, like every 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 episode. Well, I'd lost my fear of that a while, a while before that. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I worked with Sam Waterston, and it was incredible. And, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I, I lost it after a while. Sure, sure. What'd you work with Waterston on? It was a show called I'll Fly Away. Oh, yeah? It was a ra show about race. Oh, yeah. About a white lawyer. It was based on... Or cribbed from, I don't know yeah. how you want to put it, from Atticus Finch, what was it? Yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, I get it, yeah. yeah. So, now, are you happy with the movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. I am. Good, thank God. I am, I am. It's a relief, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, yeah. there's I, there's so much excitement about it that I can't believe, I just can't believe it. Um, yeah, I was I was excited to see it, and and, and I and I loved it. And I you thought, saw it in a theater? I did, yeah. I saw it over at uh, On the Lot. A small theater, but it was definitely a theater. Mm -hmm. It was actually not so small. It was a big screening room. What's the What's the studio? Because I must have Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Yeah, I went over to Warner Brothers, and it was in their big room. Oh, so is it? They, you know, there's they have smaller ones that are like you know with, but this was a full theater. Mm -hmm. No one was in it. It was me right. and Elvis oh, Mitchell I, and somebody I know, else. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, it's nice. I saw Enter the Dragon there in 1971. <laughs> My is agent it? got me in to see that at night. Oh, really? Yeah. At that screening room, I think I was the only person in there. That's great. Yeah, was that exciting to oh, see? Of course it was. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> to the dragon. Yeah. Uh, so now, do you got a few uh, movies in the pipe now, or what? Well, I have a screenplay. Mm. That's what I got. Okay. And we also have a pilot. I mean, the last three or four months have been just. I never went through this at the other movie I yeah. made. It was just been crazy. Just well, people love the surprise. Press and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How how's the reaction to it? I guess no one's has anyone uh, written about it yet. When's it open? Well, they have these they have these things called uh, the um, things called toe dip screenings. Yeah. In which they have people like yourself. Yeah. And journalists. Yeah. Come and see it in a movie theater, and I or at home. And I just said, no, we're not going to show it to people at their house. They have to go see it. Yeah. And it's been pretty good. I mean, really o overwhelming. Oh, good. But that's those aren't Joe Sixpack, of the people used to say at Universal. I love the kid. I mean, Gandolfini's kid did a great job. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. He really did. It really looks like him. I know. Is he uh, all right? Yeah, oh, he's great. Oh, good. Yeah. All right, man. Well, 
I'm glad we talked. Okay. And I'm glad you got. I'm glad you're finally making movies. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. You know. What have I got? What? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe one more, two more. Yeah. You know. But you're relatively uh, happy. Um. I had ketamine yesterday. Yeah. A small dose. Uh, nasal dose. Uh huh. That was good. It was the first time. Yeah. So what you still what you still fight depression? Yeah. Mm. My wife isn't well, so it yeah, really it makes it hard. Yeah. And we've been married for well, we met in high school. Oh, that's terrible. I'm so, sorry, buddy. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, meant the ketamine worked a little bit. Well, I mean, I have to go for more before I know that it actually worked. It worked while it was in my blood system for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then I think so. Yeah. I think it's working. Has this been a lifelong struggle? No. Depression? No. Uh, maybe, well, maybe adulthood. Maybe mm. from maybe from my 20s on. Oh, yeah. I don't remember being that's, depressed. Well, I would say at your age, that's a lifelong struggle. Yeah. From 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess it has been, yeah. But just to, like medication sometimes or usually? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, something. I didn't have any, I never went on anything until, I guess, the 80s. Huh. I went on some old-fashioned antidepressant. Oh, yeah. But you know what? I've talked too much about this depression shit. Yeah. I really have. It's like yeah. it's just part of my life and Sure. Um Yeah. It's not the whole it's the whole story. No, it's just but as long as you you know You don't you don't you don't get depressed? I used to think it was depression, but I think I suffer more from uh, uh, dread and anxiety. There's a this combination of dread and anxiety that becomes overwhelming and it kind of feels like depression, but it's really mm. anxiety. Like I don't think I have like clinical depression my father did but i don't think really I, yeah uh yeah he did what yeah. were some of his symptoms he would just be paralyzed uh with sadness um and couldn't get out of bed for periods of time mm, no, i haven't got no and uh, like and he would you know he would uh suicidal ideation and he was slightly bipolar so like you know he he'd then go into manias you know and he'd try all different ways to to manage it but it, it seemed to level off at some point. I don't know what happened. He got old. But, uh, you know, but it was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you, you can see it in their eyes, you know, when they're depressed. But then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I bought a Porsche, you know, and then, oh, oh yeah. here we go. <laughs> Good. Good for him. <laughs> well, they love the mania, but, you know, they drag everyone through the mania and they yeah. never think they're going to get depressed again. Right. So they don't stay on their medication. Yeah, that's amazing. Right? Yeah, I, there's very little I know about that disease. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I saw, I listened to, on the way up here, I listened yeah. to your... Uh, podcast with um, Quentin Tarantino. It was really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I kept we we stayed focused. You know, I mean, with him, it, you want to have a conversation and not just have a thing where he just goes. And we, you know, I think we had a nice uh, yeah. a nice little arc to a nice engagement. Well, it was I enjoyed hearing book. about his stepfather. Oh yeah, yeah, that was, right. Oh yeah, that was good stories. And yeah. that that what is the name of that book? That uh, Once called... upon a time in Hollywood. I gotta yeah. I gotta get that. Well, did you see the movie? Yeah. Did you love it? Yeah. Well, the book's great. I mean, it's a good time. My wife and I, you know, in our very early 20s, yeah. got to Hollywood a year after the Manson murders. Uh-huh. So, and then I then I was working on the Rockford Files. So, that whole thing about TV show mm. and uh, those actors and yeah. those stuntmen. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was, I loved it. You knew those guys. I did. Yeah. yeah. And he, uh -huh. did he? Especially, you know, Garner. That He was a cowboy yeah. guy, you know. What was it? Maverick. 
Maverick. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And but you like they, did Quentin get it right? Yeah. 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 They really did. Yeah. Oh, it was phenomenal. I really, really liked it. Yeah. Oh God, DiCaprio is too much, man. Yeah. It's just like he's something else, man. That guy. Yeah. Everyone was good. Yeah, the book is fun, yeah, and you weren't. You know, he goes more in depth with the with all the characters. So, and you already got the characters in your head, so it just gives this whole other um, world to what you already wow. saw. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked the end. I thought the ending was great. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, great talking. All right. Man. He is heavy, right? He's heavy. He's got the heaviness, as Dangerfield used to call it, the heaviness. The Many Saints of Newark opens in theaters Friday, October 1st, and it will also be streaming on HBO Max. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for the remaining dates. Also, go to WTFPod.com slash merch for stuff. Okay. Here's some heavy guitar. I'm doing the heaviness. The heaviness. Thank you. 